Hey everybody, I just wanted to put a quick intro before this episode because my microphone was not working. In fact, I was apparently recording through my computer audio. It's funny, we're doing a lot of things like upgrade audio quality, things like that, getting new equipment. And whenever you're doing something new or for the first time, you tend to make mistakes and that's what happened on this episode. So I apologize for my audio quality. We recorded the year-end episode on the same night as this one and that did not have that audio problem Thankfully, I was so worried about that, but Will and Mike's audio is great. Just my track was a problem. Nothing I could do about it. Sorry about that. But next week, we will be back to our normal audio quality. Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, one of our last episodes for the year. This actually might be our last episode, at least for me and Peter, right? Certainly our last episode of the year, although our year-end episode will be in two episodes uh, after Steve's year-end episode. So, yes? Yeah, so so we'll have a year-end episode in December and one in January, just getting lots of good lists out there. But we have a special guest. We've gone too long without introducing him. It's Will, the Hungry Gamer. Hey, everybody. And, you know, I'm very happy to know that um, you guys think so highly of me. You said, no, let's make sure we get him in in 2020. Oh, yeah, man. No, we, we, we could not let it wait another year. Yeah, you're part of the family now. So, you know, y- y- we had to get you on at some point. Oh, shucks. And, yeah, Will's going to be <laughs> joining us. Uh, we'll chat a bit about his channel and his history as a gamer and a uh, content creator And then we're going to be doing a review of a game all three of us have been playing, Kingdom Rush Rift in Time from Lucky Duck Games. And we'll have a design discussion on adapting uh, video games, or in this case, an app game, to the board game format. Cool. So, Will, why did they call you the Hungry Gamer? Well, so I had a sports blog a long time ago because my buddy got a job at this company called Yard Barker, and it was all about sports blogs, and they had all these athlete blogs on there. And he's like, and he said to all of us, look, I told them I could get all these people to make blogs, so I got a job. All of you start a blog right now. And this was back when I was really trying to make my living as just an actor. Now it's just part of my job. So, you know, you have starving actors. I was like, well, I wasn't starving. I was working a little bit, so I was the hungry actor. And then – that's long since gone. There is there is no trace of that blog left. I made sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> no trace. Uh, but then when it came to starting the board game reviews, I was like, well, I need something. And so I just became a hungry gamer. And now I eat boxes, apparently. Yeah, I was going to say, your like logo for all your videos is eating the game box. I, I had no idea it was uh, back to your acting roots. And yeah, for, for those who have heard my origin story, me and Will are very much almost the same person because I'm also a former actor that became a teacher and now does video or no, not video games. <laughs> I'm thinking of our design discussion, board game reviews. And Will had uh, a similar trajectory in his life. And it's possible that both of us are figments of Peter's imagination. I mean, yeah, this is like a fight club. By the way, spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that- <laughs> for the four people that haven't seen that. This will be a very sad podcast indeed because it'll be like 30 seconds of silence and then Peter laughing (laughs) and responding. (laughs) Hey, Peter, would you like to tell anybody about Sixth Sense while you're at it? No, no, no. We won't spoil that one. I I mean, you know, dead people have to stay dead in in scenario. And by the way, a uh, quick shout out. I forgot to do it earlier to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Thank you so much to all of you. We've been doing a whole bunch of new stuff. We're setting up our website We have our podcast. We have two YouTube channels now. We're doing a Twitch stream. We have six staff members now, all with tech needs, all with game needs. So uh, really huge, the money that people contribute every month to help us defray the cost of all that stuff and help us put on the content that we do. But this month, I'd like to especially thank three of our supporters. First, sorry if I mispronounce your name, Bartaj Kojewski, uh, who is a co-op MVP, Nick Howard, a co-op lover, and Corey Brutzman, a co-op champion. So Bartaj, Nick, and Corey, thank you so much for your support. Thank you to everyone who writes reviews of the podcast, uh, subscribes on the YouTube channel, is on our Discord. However you're contributing to our community and being a part of our community, we really appreciate you, especially at the end of this long, arduous year. 
Yeah, and we just did our year-end episode on Twitch as well, and there were a lot of people that came and contributed there as well. So the great part about Twitch is all we want is your voice there, and it's not really your voice, you're just typing in. But we really love the interactive discussion over there. I've been having a blast with that. It's funny, Mike's like, I didn't think you were going to get into Twitch. I thought that was going to be a Steve thing. I said, I didn't realize I was going to get into it either, but I'm just having a lot of fun doing it. So I'm certainly there every Friday night, but I've done a lot of impromptu Twitch sessions as well. Yeah, and it's definitely a lot of fun. I've played on a few of the Twitches, and just watching them is great. Uh, Steve is doing an awesome job uh, adding all these like little animations and things you can do. Like I think you can summon dragons to fist bump now or something crazy like that. Well, yeah. And uh, speaking of dragons fist bumping, we have recently opened our merch store. We'll make sure the link to that is in the podcast notes. And uh, our newest revealed shirt is uh, some dragons cooperatively fist bumping with a one-stop co-op shop name underneath. So uh, just something cool. If you're looking to uh, support us and also get some nice swag for yourself, check out our merch store. Perhaps the smoothest segue ever. That was amazing. <laughs> and it wasn't planned. We just worked together a lot. Yeah, it definitely wasn't planned. I just, I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of things maybe not being planned, Will, you said that you started your YouTube channel, but how did that actually happen? What's kind of the story behind that? What made you want to be a board game reviewer? Because I am the greatest brother that has ever brothered before. Wait, really? Because <laughs> I've, I've talked to your brother quite a bit. How, how does he play into this? So, uh, well, you, you've played his base satellite combat game. And when he was starting to design it, he said, Will, you speak good. Would you make me a, a video on how to play? I was like, sure. No one's going to watch it because, you know, who, who am I? But I said, okay, sure, why not? So I just went on uh, BGG and started typing up some reviews of just games that I liked. And then suddenly someone sent me a message and said, hey, if I send you a game, would you write a review of it? I was like, free game? Yeah, this is the <laughs> best thing ever. And then someone said, well, would you make a video if I sent you a game? I was like, yeah, any idiot can make a video. How hard could it be? And so <laughs> I, I jumped into that. And the next thing I knew, I found the Board Game Reviewers Facebook group. And then suddenly, before I knew it, I had done 60 articles and a whole bunch of videos. And then suddenly people were sending me stuff left and right. And here was a, oh, would you want to kickstart a game before it's even launched? I was like, that's cool. I'm like special. Do you still feel that way? No. No, I don't. No, I, I think, Wills, we reached the same point I have where it's like, oh, my gosh, they sent me another game. Like, <laughs> that's what that's what I think. I, I want to communicate that to anybody who's not a board game reviewer. It's still cool sometimes. But a lot of times you're getting games that you're not that excited about and you have to muster the energy to play it a bunch so you can review it in an honest way. Yeah, I was just uh, actually chat with Mike earlier. There's a game and I'm not going to name it because actually I think the game, which is intended for a large group, is actually a very fun game. But the solo mode, I just couldn't get into it. I was halfway through and I just stopped and I sent a message. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And they told me to, to, to buck up, Buttercup. And so I you know, pop back and finish it. But well, because so Mike, Mike and uh, Peter, you guys probably haven't had this in a very long time. But when you're just starting out and you're really small, you say yes to everything. It's like, uh, well, Mike is like when you just left school and you started acting, right? It, you didn't turn down any roles. Oh, heck no. But let me tell you, did it feel good that first time when you're like, uh, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this part. It's not it's not for me. It's the same feeling the first time you say, you know what? No, I'm not going to. I think I can't do your Kickstarter. It's a very good feeling. I felt like I'd arrived. <laughs> you are good enough to say, I don't want to play your game. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You want to hear about a whole bunch of games that I'm not excited about? Listen to next week's episode when we talk about our games of the year. Because, boy, this year was not great for me. I'm just going to spoil that up front. And, uh, yeah, I played those a bunch of times. And uh, so, I mean, that's part of the problem with niching yourself so much. It was a year where not a lot of games came out anyway. And uh, when you have to just find the co-op ones, yeah, we, we didn't always do the best ones this year either. All right, but uh, let's talk about something that might have value for at least a few of us. And that is the game we're reviewing this week, Kingdom Rush Rift in Time. This is a Lucky Duck game of tower defense based on uh, the app series that's pretty popular. Uh, Peter, do you want to go over kind of the theme as much as there is one here? Well, yeah. So I actually played the app. Have either of you played the app yet? Yeah, yeah. I've played, I think, three of the releases. I have not because I am bad at those games. 
<laughs> yeah, I actually played all the way through. So this is based on an app game by the same name, Kingdom Rush, and it is a tower defense game. So you're building towers. If you've ever played any of these things, Plants vs. Zombies, there are a lot of other ones. But you're building towers to stop like hordes of enemies that come through. And when I first played the board game, I was confused because there were so many enemies on each tray. And I'm like, there's no way the app has that many. Tower defense games typically don't have that much. Well, let me tell you something. The app definitely does have that many bad guys running at you. It is waves and waves of just tons of guys coming in all at once. And so you're trying to stop them from getting to this like exit point on the map. And the game plays exactly that way. So they're coming in from one end. You build towers and other defenses between that and their stated goal, which is defending your kingdom. So you build all these towers to blow them up in between. And the thing that makes this one a little more unique is you have spells that you cast and you have a hero that you control as well. And so I think that makes this very different than any other tower defense game that I had played, both the app and the board game. I think that's something that kind of ties it together and something that makes the app and the board game sing and stand out from other ones in this genre. But Mike, why don't you get into the you know basic overview of how the game plays? Sure. So this is a scenario-based game. They've got a bunch, and you can play them in order, but there's no like legacy or campaign elements that progress from scenario to scenario, so you could just jump in. They have, just like in the app, they really did uh, model a lot of stuff here, uh, five different difficulty settings for each scenario, so you can uh, tailor it to the experience you want. They also have sort of like an endless survival mode that has a very different play in it and like some bosses and stuff you got to fight. But the basic idea is, as Peter said, these uh, enemies will come out on these uh, cards. They sit on these little trays and you will, the different players will place towers on these spots. You have these different colored spots. And if I'm like the blue player, I can only place my towers on blue slots. And there's different types of towers firing in different uh, arcs and doing different shapes of damage. Yes, shapes, because this is partially a polyomino game, which means like you have those little Tetris shapes. And you're covering up these actual little illustrations of the enemies on these uh, tile kind of cards that are moving down towards your base, towards the exit. And if you can cover up every enemy on a card, that card is defeated and it is removed from the board. But they keep on spawning every turn. And you also get to move your hero. As Peter mentioned, you have heroes and they can damage people and they have their own little special powers. But uh, unlike a lot of tower defense games, both in board game and video game app form, you get all your tower cards back at the end of each turn. So it's not like towers are locked into place. Instead, you're playing them strategically uh, each turn in whichever spaces you want. And additionally, your towers can level up. And how you do that in the cooperative game, you have to not use them in the round, and then you'll pass them to the player next to you, but in the leveled up form. And in the solo game, very similar, you just don't use them and they level up. So you have to kind of uh, balance, you know, using your towers and not using them. And there's also these portal enemies that come out that have special rules for how you defeat them, but that's usually the victory condition, although some scenarios change that. But those are kind of the basics. Uh, The enemies are coming down towards you, putting down your tower cards to cover them up with polyominoes, and moving your heroes to help, trying to survive as long as you can. Cool. All right, so we're about to get into the review format, which is a top five format where we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which we think is the least important, and going all the way up to number one, which is the most important. So, Will... Being our guest, what is your number five thing you think people need to know about Kingdom Rush? All right. So to to use Mike's style of labeling things, this is going to be a mix, but leaning towards the con for me. And that is the fiddly setup. Boy, oh boy, it takes a long time to get the different uh, monster colors and the number. You have to stack them exactly perfectly and put them out. It just I feel like it just takes way longer than it should to actually set it up. Though I will say the um, fact that while you're playing, it doesn't feel very fiddly to me overall. I think those little plastic trays that you get that kind of contain everything, keep stuff from flying all over that, that mitigates that. And it's so I'm going to talk more later about the upgrading of towers, but the fact that you're not getting gold or experience and tracking all that junk too, to, to do all of that, I think works really well, but it just takes too long to set up. Yeah, and I'll jump in with my number five because it's almost the same. Actually, it pretty much is the same. But this does bring up <laughs> – there's almost a design discussion. It's like earlier itself. you said we're like the same person. See, oh, yeah, yeah, just, exactly. P- Peter is not being creative with his figments anymore. He's just recycling. Well, yeah, why are the voices in my head repeating themselves? It's like it's on Echo. <laughs> but uh, in my review, my video review, I called my number five fiddliness, and I said it was a con – 
But uh, I really just today, this just happened today. Uh, this guy, I think his name is Paul on our YouTube channel. He had a long comment on me calling uh, Alter Quest fiddly. And he didn't say he disagreed with like the main points I was making, but he did kind of uh, go against the use of the term fiddly because he was pointing out that it's kind of uh, imprecise. And, you know, the, the, thinking about his comment, I kind of agree with that because I consider Sentinels of the Multiverse fiddly. And I consider some of the setup and play of this one fiddly, but they are not at all the same thing. You know, one is like fiddliness of card interactions and ongoing effects, that's Sentinels. And the other one is like fiddliness of actual physical components. So I'm going to try not to use fiddliness. I'm going to try to use alternate words, see if I can grow my vocabulary for game description here. Are you going to change the reviewer industry by coming up with a new word we're all going to use? No, 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 no. I'm just trying to break it down into like different types of this thing that kind of fits under this umbrella term fiddliness. Well, that's incredibly disappointing. I was very excited. (laughs) No, I was just going to say I agree with Will that the setup is a little bit of a chore here, especially getting those like cards in the right spot. You got to find the right level cards. And I'll actually disagree that it totally plays smoothly. It mostly does. But I also found that uh, messing around with the uh, actual polyomino pieces, and then when you destroy an enemy, like pouring them all off of the enemy and reorganizing them, if you want to reorganize them, or just having them in this horrific like pile of every type of token, that also can be, you know, it's not too bad. It's my number five, but it certainly is an impediment to me playing the game all the time and makes like the play of it a little bit more cumbersome, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, when I played, I do. I did leave it, just left it set up for the most part for, I don't know, several days and just had all the piles out there and put, put yeah, if I was putting it away and bringing it back out, that would be a, that would be a chore. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you on that part. Like where putting it away and taking it out of the box is really, really hard. It's, it's weird. They make these perfectly precise spots, but like the stuff doesn't come out very easily. Like I had to get a knife <laughs> to like jack it out of the box. Like it was almost too precisely molded, right? I, I, no, I don't Peter, know. You it do is- have to take the top off. Like you, you don't just cut through the box. You got to take the top off. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about those plastic wells that they have everything stuck <laughs> yeah, in. Like I don't know if it was just the way Mike put it in or what, but like I could not get stuff out of that box. It, it took a while. That's the only thing I found fiddly. I actually, I mean, I see what you're saying as far as setup goes. But honestly, it didn't take that long for me. It's funny because I'm Captain Fiddly. Like if something I view it as like really annoying and even what Mike said with dumping the stuff off, I don't mind dumping it off into one pile. That didn't bother me at all because it was real easy to find stuff. They're all very different polyomino shapes. So that didn't bother me either. So it's funny that this didn't make my list at all. And that's the reason I'm talking about it so much here. It really didn't bother me that much. I didn't view it like all the tiles were very easily numbered to get them out the way you wanted. Were you playing it uh, by yourself or were you playing with someone else who was helping with that? No, I, I did. Well, I played it by myself and with my kids and they certainly didn't help clean up. Or set up <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it didn't really bother me. And like you said, though, once you're set up, because difficulty is one of my things that we'll get to later, but uh, you probably will have to replay the mission a couple of times to uh, to get the result that you're looking for. So yeah, once it's set up, it's I found it super easy to even go back in. And so, yeah, this one didn't bother me as much, and I'm not sure why exactly. Probably because, as Will said, I found once you were in the game, it ran really smooth and really quickly. But that none of those things are my number five. So I guess I should get into that since you guys talked about that. <laughs> For me, the number five is the heroes and how different they feel. They all have not only a different base attack, but they all have different special attacks as well. There are melee heroes, which kind of attack the tile they're on. There are other heroes that attack the tile they're next to. And yes, they're all just basically putting polyominoes down and they block off a, a four-spot square themselves. But... If anybody's played polyomino games before, you know how different different shaped polyominoes feel. So even if they're similar in the fact that they're just putting polyominoes down, really, to me, they felt very different because each of those shapes does something completely different. And sometimes you wanted to not cover spots so you could cover adjacent tiles and things like that. So I don't know. It, it They were really cool to me how different the heroes felt. And again, not only because they have a base attack, but they have these like one time a game or not one time a game, one time until you rest, I guess, effects that were really neat as well. Yeah, Mike, why don't you go ahead and respond? Because that's actually is my number four. So that'll be a beautiful segue. Okay, are you serious, too? Because that's my number four, too. Like, I I never (laughs) joking about us being the same person, but like, you don't have to copy my list, dang it. (laughs) 
I'll be honest, that was my number four until I redid the list just a minute ago. <laughs> okay, interesting. I'll jump in with my, I mean, I agree with everything Peter said. It's a pro for me. Uh, the only thing I'll add in is I also like the resource management of your hero because uh, they get slowly damaged. And if you lose them, they go away for a turn. So you got to like kind of run them away to recover and then they get all their skills back. And like, when do you want to use their skills on which enemies? I just think uh, kind of that combination of the uniqueness of them and the resource management is a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty much there. They're exactly with you also the only additions i'll make are one i mean my favorite way to play it is two-handed with with two heroes and picking the combinations of heroes and how they synergize together i just find to be the ultimate in nerd fun like i'm sitting there looking like oh <laughs> if i i could use i could use malik and his hammer and if i combine that with the spell guy and it's just it makes me happy to do that but the way that they all do work together but work together differently and how dramatically that can actually change how you're playing, I think is just delightful. And I think they look really cool. Oh, like the little actual miniatures you mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're not super detailed, but they look cool enough that I actually painted all of them. Oh, wow. Like I've been, ta- I've been, I've been hanging out with Barrett digitally way too much that, you know, I could start to feel his judgment for not having painted <laughs> minis. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so since you guys had the same number four, I'll jump right into mine. When clearly, I don't have any comments on it because it was my number five. So uh, <laughs> my number four is that I actually found multiplayer to be strange. Ironically, you said you play uh, multiplayer even when you're playing solo. I actually found the solo game to be quite enjoyable, where you get kind of three heroes on your bench and you can only bring in one in a turn and you know you get more spells or whatever else and you have these three different placement spots. And, you know, this isn't one stop solo shop, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I I actually found the solo quite enjoyable where it's it's an interesting little puzzle. Multiplayer, the reason multiplayer bothers me, and this is this is the big thing. So it is kind of a a negative for me is I find it weird that you have to pass your towers to get them leveled up because it said you must level up your tower before you pass it, which is I thought was interesting wording there, meaning. I guess if it's fully leveled up, you can't pass it anymore and you just have to play it every turn. Not that you wouldn't want to anyway, but I I thought that was interesting wording. But the bottom line is, if the same person starts with level one tower, like every level one tower, that means the exact same person is going to have all the level three towers because of the way it passes around the table. There's no real way to like, I mean, there's certainly it's a puzzle when you're setting it up, but I found that an unenjoyable puzzle because once you got the highest level towers you're just going to sit on them the rest of the game and now the other person's stuck with like kind of wimpier towers so i didn't love how that was done i wish there was some redistribution of powers between turns i understand they didn't want it to be this like big puzzle where you spend an hour looking at it between turns but i wish there was a way to level it up and kind of keep it yourself i almost wish you you just kind of kept your towers yourself and you didn't pass them to the left as you as you went through this so i don't know maybe that was just quirky for me but I felt like, especially because playing with my kids, I kept wanting them to pass them towers and they did all the cool stuff. But then I ended up with all junky towers at the end of the game. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. That bothered me a little bit. It sounds like you need some better kids, man, who are going to give you the nice towers. I mean, I, I was going to say that like, because I also played with uh, Harrison, my eight year old, a bunch. And I, I didn't have that problem at all. Like, I think the game, just by limiting the number of spots you can put your towers on and by limiting like where the enemies are. You're never going to play all your towers, so it, we we just tended to pass like two towers amongst ourselves every time, and we would all have cool towers to play. Like I, I never had like where I got junky ones and he got all the good ones. But I mean, to to Peter's point though, I, I can I could now to be I've only played this by myself, multi handed and solo because um, my wife's out of town, so I'm very excited to play with her. But um, you know, it's interesting because I I've, I found that what I was doing is especially later on in the campaign is I was not playing it sometimes because I was, would be trying to set up a big round, especially like with the, uh, like the big, the boss fight with that ginormous, huge mini guy. Right. So, you know, I'd be setting things up to try to completely wipe out those, but for the most part, yeah, you you know, I am always playing them. And it's funny because actually the, the upgrading of the towers is actually my number three. It's actually a big old pro for me. I really like the ease of it. I kind of mentioned that at the beginning, how it's not it's not fiddly to upgrade it. It's just don't use it, which is also a great kind of decision that you have to make, which, again, I, I really enjoy that not only is it the puzzle of getting the polyominoes out and using my heroes correctly and getting them to synergize, but to 
decide what to let go. And when do I let a horde get closer because I need to upgrade this tower because I know that those portals are coming. But on the flip side, you can totally ruin yourself early on if you don't manage the passing of your towers well and just be dead, which I found several times in the early going how I would uh, just use all my towers to wipe out the hordes and the portals would come and suddenly I couldn't hurt the portals because I didn't have the right stuff. Or I blew all my towers hurting the portals and then had nothing left. So it's a great puzzle. I enjoy it. Yep, I'll be talking about that later. But my number three, I don't think anybody's mentioned this yet, is uh, the variety of scenarios and the objectives within them. And this was a mix for me, but leaning pro and uh, why? So there are, uh, it's a pretty good number of scenarios in the base game. I know a lot of people that are playing this probably kickstarted it and you have like the expansions. I'm going to try to get those, uh, purchasing them, but we only had the, or at least uh, Peter and I only had the core game to play. Did you have all the stuff? That's the same thing I have. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, just, just the core. I have spoken with Az about when the other stuff will be available, and it's sometime in the first first quarter of next year. Yeah, so I, I will buy it once it is available. Spoiler alert. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the scenarios were nice. Most of them do have this uh, condition where you have to uh, defeat these like special portal enemies. And those guys were a little bit of a negative for me just because they destroy your towers. And I totally got why for kind of balance and strategy purposes. But it was not a fun experience to have the stuff you built up get destroyed for me. Like, that's not something that I necessarily enjoy in the play. Uh, When you hit these guys with the tower, the tower gets blown up in the hitting. But uh, the scenarios themselves felt different. Uh, The ones that broke up that kind of basic portal enemy thing were really cool, like the Escort one or the Big Boss one will mention. They also have, again, that uh, separate mode you can play that has some variety to it. Um, And then the fact that each of the scenarios has these five difficulties, and you can really make it very, very tough. I only beat one scenario on the highest difficulty where uh, you really can't make any mistakes and have to, like, plan things perfectly. That's funny, because I've only beaten one scenario on the normal difficulty. You're just just terrible (laughs) at the game, Will. (laughs) But yeah, so I, I like all of that. The, the only like negative here, besides that the portal enemies can be kind of unfun sometimes when they destroy your towers, is that it is still limited unless you get the expansions whenever they come out in quarter one or whatever. If you don't want to go to like the highest difficulty, I can see for some groups that just not being a fun experience to do that. They don't want to punish themselves. Or they just want to play it normal. Then, you know, I don't know if there's much reason after you beat scenario one to come back to scenario one. If you're not the kind of gamer or the kind of gamer group that wants to kind of like push to those really tough difficulty settings. I could see you playing each scenario once and being like, yep, we're done with this game, which would not be terrible value. This is not like a super duper $120 game or anything. But, uh, you know, I I could see that being a negative for groups who aren't into the challenge of pushing themselves to those higher difficulty settings. Well, I mean, there's 10 missions. That's pretty good for for a game like this, I think, as far as amount of content in the box. And I'll, I'll say... Most of them I did not beat the first time, and that kind of pushes to my number three point. But yeah, no, I think there's there's a good amount of value and variety, even though a lot of times it is just beating the portal enemies, which is the goal. But I'll get into that a little later as well. Yeah, I think I've spent, I don't know, I've probably played 20 times or something like that, which is, that's a lot for a game now nowadays, I feel like, to actually play it 20 times in the first month you have it. And I have not actually played the... What is it? I think it's called Portal Storm mode or whatever yeah. the uh, yeah. And so, so I, I haven't played that, but it it looks like that's kind of a more of a random one off setup. Is is that right? Yeah, it has some randomization, so I think that might have more replayability. Because otherwise, in the other scenarios, the only difference is if you pick different heroes and which enemy cards come out. But that's not, at least for me, that's barely even noticeable randomization at all. The enemy cards because they're in the same order. Yeah, there's, there's there's not that many different ones. Right. I mean. Although maybe, maybe that's better in expansions. I don't know. Maybe they add in like a wolf that has like different abilities on it. I, I could imagine that being the case. Sure. All right. Well, my number three is kind of tied to that, which is the difficulty. And I found this game very hard, even at normal difficulty. I say, I, I guess Mike's pushing himself to the highest level. Uh, I think Will and I are probably more on the, uh, lined here. We're just mere mortals. Yeah. Three star difficulty was super hard for me. I, I don't know how Mike was doing it. Maybe he found some trick that like 
really enabled him to get to higher levels. But I, I was having a hard time beating it just at the normal level. So what I did for myself, and I was actually going to suggest people do this because they say to start at three star difficulty and then like push up or down based on your experience. I would say start at two star difficulty. And the only difference is you start with a spell. You start with more life on the tower and you do start with one more coin. I don't start with the one more coin. That way, if I beat it without using that extra spell and with having the four life left, it's not like I lost. I can kind of scale it a little bit. And I wish they had kind of done that where they say, okay, you have 12 life because in the normal game, you have like 20 life on your thing. And then if you lose a certain amount of life, then you get down to two stars. And if you lose more life, you go down to one star. And so you get kind of a score at the end. I almost wish they had done that because right now it's like a pass fail, which I normally like in co-ops, but I feel like, I don't know. I just didn't want to replay it 20 times. So for me, I put it down to the two star difficulty and tried to get three stars from that difficulty. So I kind of had a win and then like a win above the win, but I found it very difficult even just on that three star difficulty. Yeah, I'm I'm with Peter. It's a, I, I mean... I found it to be an enjoyable challenge. Now, and I'm also the type of, of person, at least when I'm playing through the first few times, I have no problem whatsoever knocking the difficulty down to an easier mode the first first few times through. No problem with that. I know some people are probably cringing as I say that, but it's it's tough. Like it is a hard game. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. When I think uh, that goes back to kind of the biggest negative in my number three, which was those portal enemies. Again, I totally get it. I think it's an interesting design choice for the kind of strategy of losing towers and when do you want to lose them and maybe holding off on hitting those guys so you keep the towers being efficient as long as possible. But that also messes with the difficulty a lot because, yes, on an easier mode, you have like way more health, but if one of those guys gets through, you lose no matter what. It's an instant loss if one of them gets through. So they didn't really account for the changing difficulty in the portal enemies. They are consistently tough no matter what mode you're playing at. Like there isn't really a, like my, my son did fine. I think we we won on two and even three star difficulty a few times. But, you know, like it, I couldn't play with like a really young kid and crank it all the way down to one star because we would still die because of specifically those portal enemies, I think. Yeah, well, because you can't use spells on them. You can't use heroes on them. You can't do anything. I mean, they're they're going to blow right. up a bunch of your towers. Yeah, like they're, they're unfun in multiple ways. They take away a lot of your coolest tools and they destroy your upgradable things. And they kill you right away if they get through. So, like that—that's probably, you know, even, even though it's uh, my in my number three, that's probably my biggest negative with the game. Even though I respect the design and I get it, so I'm not even saying change it, but it is also probably the least fun thing for the game about it for me. Yeah, it just—it uh, doesn't bug me that it's kind of had a kind of a side tangent question to ask you guys because you've actually gotten to play it with other people. How bad is the potential for alpha gamer in this? Uh, it's it's pretty bad. I'm guessing if Mike's beaten it with his young kid, I know even with my older kid, I was having to alpha game a little bit because if you make bad decisions, again, the difficulty is so hard. I mean, there's, I mean, you're basically going to lose. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I can imagine playing, especially with younger kids, you're going to have to point out some things. It's like, we well, could do that, or maybe this would be a better option. Even if you're not alpha gaming, you got to point out some other options that, that might be better. It is possible that Mike's son is just a savant at. No, 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 no. I, I definitely, I definitely alpha game some. His tower placement, I generally let him do, but like when he moved his hero, I'd be like, well, you know, you could like kill eight more guys if you went over here instead. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good thing to just kind of mention. You know, I, I don't usually include alpha gaming as like one of my points because that's so group dependent. But there's certainly one where it could be a problem if that is something that your group struggles with. You know. Well, I think this is a good time to talk about it because I do think it has to do with the difficulty. I think because it's so hard, you kind of have to use, even if it's not alpha gaming, I think it's hive mind, right? I think you guys have to puzzle it out to figure out what the best thing is. And of course, if somebody's much more experienced than the rest of the group, that is going to lead to alpha gaming, I think, a lot of times. Yeah, it's a really interesting balance, which I guess is more just kind of a generic design topic, but finding a way to have the co-op game where everyone still has all of their own agency, even when we are all sharing information. That's always a really, really hard balance to find. I think the best one I can think of is Spirit Island. Does that the best? And that's probably just because everyone has so much stuff going on. It's really hard to know what everybody else is doing, but it's really hard to do. Well, and I think it's also smart in that design where they start people on their own islands, right? So you start with very little cooperation and the more cooperation comes in as you move closer and closer to each other. Mm, Yeah. 
All right, so uh, Will, what's your number two? So I pulled together a lovely alliteration for this one. Uh, I have polyomino puzzle perfection. (laughs) Yes. Nice. I just, uh, I love the polyomino puzzle of this, just down to the different, you know, blank spaces that are on the horde trays and combine that with uh, some can't be hurt by magic or can only be hurt by magic. And you're trying to puzzle out the exact way to get the shapes there. But then on top of that, a lot of the towers, they are very specific in the orientation that they shoot. And so if you can't get those placed the right way, there's that lovely moment of, oh, you think you have it? And then you actually look closely and realize, oh, no, my little L shape is going right, not left. And your your entire brilliant plan has been ruined. And I just, uh, to me, I didn't think I was going to really be as into it as I am. But because there's so many different options and choices, everything single time you do any of it, even down to like the hero characters that we talked about earlier. And Peter, you were referencing, I think, the big hammer dude. How If you just miss a bunch of stuff with his ability, he gets to hit other things. And I, I just I think it is so such a delightful little brain burner that I can't think of a polyomino puzzle that I like more. Well, and don't think for a second they didn't plan those magic spots intentionally because those magic pieces are very specifically shaped. And gosh darn it, if they don't like always put like one little magic thing in the way so you cannot place it exactly how you want to. Oh, you no, no, that was planned. That was evil. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, uh, I'll talk about uh, that in a second as well. But my number two is going back to, I think it was uh, Will's number three, uh, the tower upgrading. I like it. I did not encounter the issues that uh, Peter had, although, again, I I can see that that could happen, definitely. That is something to kind of keep in mind. But I liked it in solo and in multiplayer. I liked having to discuss and kind of pass them back and forth. And I liked uh, just the general idea of not using things to make them better and, like, maybe not killing as many things this round so you can kill more things overall later. I like that choice. So, yeah, we've already discussed it a bunch, but I like the tower upgrading for my number two. All right, and my number two we should go through pretty quickly, too, because that's mission variety. And I was actually surprised because I thought it was just going to be tower defense and it was just going to scale up in difficulty and difficulty. But then you get to mission three and it's like, wait a minute, this is completely different because now it's like an escort mission where you have to, like, destroy the stuff in front of this person or, you know, you're going to fail the mission that way. And they're sitting there hurting you the whole time. And so I liked that they did different things. I was surprised that they were able to do it. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of the missions still are destroy the portal enemies, and that's how you win the mission. But they've also done some cool stuff with like bosses and escort missions and things like that. I was surprised with the amount of variety that is in those 10 missions, considering what they had to work with. And it, it also, it, part of that, I think, because I think are completely on target on that is, well, one, they've broken it up. It's, you know, there, there's just what, uh, three boss fights in the 10 missions. So, you know, one out of every three or so. But that how they kind of trickle out new things yes. as you go through. And then, like, suddenly you have the ghosts out there, which are just the bane of all existence. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I think they it just... It they really I, I think that does a good job of keeping it feeling fresh, even though the mechanics are relatively simple and don't change. Well, and it is. I mean, this is getting into our design discussion, but the app really served them well here because the app does a great job of slowly doling out things. Like just like in the board game, you unlock new and better towers, and you get new things to play with, and you get new heroes, and you get more abilities for those heroes, and now you have spells, and now they have this kind of enemy, and now they have that type of enemy. So they literally just mirrored the app, and it's a great kind of gradual progression with a scenario variety because of it. Yeah, I can't wait to get in this design discussion because I think they did some other really cool things, but I want to save it for that. All right, so uh, Will, what's your number one? So this this, this one to, is it's a tower defense game that I actually want to play. And I say that because I don't play the tower defense games like on my phone and stuff, and I, I have, but there's always that... At least maybe maybe not in Kingdom Rush. I could be wrong, but there's always that kind of time crunch that puts you under at some point, and it, it, it's my brain just doesn't go that fast, and I get frustrated when I make a stupid choice. Like I'm, I'll think of like plants versus zombies. You know, it gives you I don't know what sixty seconds to put your your plants out there, and I become really bad at the game with that. But this has taken that away and at the same time has added everything in that I like about the tower defense. So you're choosing your towers, picking the right thing. And then this has the heroes, which I've already talked about how much I like them. 
So it does all these things I like, and it's taken away the one thing that I really hate, the time crunch. So it just makes me happy. I would say Kingdom Rush is actually worse than a lot of these other tower defense games as far as time crunch goes. Because not only do you have the time crunch of the waves, but if you actually click on them to make them come out faster, they give you more money. So you're kind of encouraged to do that. Yeah, and I always kill myself with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But not only that, but then at some point, it will, and then you got your hero that you've got to like micromanage throughout the battle. So you're not just sitting there watching your towers kill stuff. You, especially if you get the ranged hero, like you've really got to move. And then like when they engage you in melee, you got to like run away. And and I guess with the melee characters, you really got to worry about your health and run away and heal up. So I think this is actually one of the worst ones. And the final thing they do, if that wasn't enough to manage during the app game, which I know we're not talking about the app game, but then you have to start clicking on your towers at one point as fast as you can because they have this like thing that goes around them that'll oh, disable your tower i hated that guy that boss that would do that was the worst oh my gosh and i think all, I'm all like all the bosses do that like the one guy freezes you and the other like the the lich guy like has tentacles or whatever oh i hated it oh i wonder yep. if that's yep. in the expansions something like that <laughs> yeah maybe I, I don't know i tap on the board as fast as you can or whatever <laughs> <laughs> just just flip the board just flip it Yeah, I would say it's actually worse than most of the app games for that. So it is interesting that they've done such a good job of transforming it into a board game that doesn't have that same feel to it. Well, it sounds like we're all itching to get to the design discussion. So my number one is super fast because it's the same as Will's number two. Uh, I really like the tower placement combined with the polyomino. It is brain burner. Bam, done. (laughs) Everything he said. And my number one is the polyomino puzzle is so fun is what I wrote down. Uh, so I think we're all the same here because Will's number one was just kind of a general overall feeling. So I'm going to put Polyominoes as his number one also. <laughs> yeah, I think we all felt that that was probably the best part of the game. And I love Polyominoes in games. I'm starting to realize more and more how much I do enjoy it. But the interesting thing here is they have like a lot of little individual Polyominoes. Usually you get like bigger and bigger shapes and you're trying to squeeze those in. Here, it's the enemy shapes that make it really interesting and trying to figure out how to take those just basic few shapes that you do have and make it work is just really brain burning and fun. I think part of it is also like figuring out where to put your knights down just to even slow down enemies sometimes. Just you have your hero that adds to that puzzle. Just when you add it all together, it really is a fun Euroe puzzle for people who like that kind of stuff. Or, I mean, call it Euroe, whatever you want. Puzzle, puzzle. I, I really feel like. That is the right word for it. Yeah, and then uh, even when you're talking about the, the different shapes, like it even comes down to as you're looking at your heroes and picking your powers. Like I can't tell you how many times towards the end of the game I was like, "Why didn't I pick that other power? I could <laughs> get the little hole right here. I could fill it perfectly." It's delightful. Yeah, so it sounds like a pretty big recommend from all of us. Uh, definitely, all three of us liked it solo, and I, I guess I liked it the most co-op because Will hasn't really played it co-op yet, and Peter had some questions about co-op. But yeah, I, y'all recommend it? Is that about right? Oh yeah, absolutely. This was uh, my uh, finished n- number three in my my games of the year. But since I had a tie at number one, it's kind of number two. So it, I, I think it's great. Absolutely great. It, it was my number six or seven or eight on my top top twenty of the year. So yeah. Now, was that a solo list or is that an everything list? That, that was an everything list, yeah. So it's going to be very different uh, when we talk about it in the episode in two weeks, uh, just you and me, about our top 20 co-op games for the co-op experience. Yeah, and and in mine, uh, my list actually also includes competitive games. Actually, my, my one and two are both competitive games, which is really weird for me. So th- this was actually my top co-op game uh, oh, of nice. the year. Yeah. All right. We'll just call it your top co-op then. <laughs> no, you guys are my top co-op. Oh. Oh, that's sweet. All right. So, yeah, no, it definitely a high recommend for me, too, which is interesting because I find the difficulty frustrating at times that I mean, even though that was my number three point, ironically, it was originally my number five. I'm like, no, that's like the one thing for me that could make this game fall is I get very frustrated by the difficulty of this game. Like I'm having to play missions two and three times, and that's even a two-star difficulty. Like, I, I find this game much more challenging. I don't know what Mike's doing. Maybe I'll have to watch his playthrough again and, like, figure out some tips or tricks or whatever. Because... R- r- rampant cheating, dude. You know, always. That's what I was just thinking. Like, he, he might just be cheating. 
Right. <laughs> no, I, I do think this is the kind of game you can get better at, which is why I'm super excited to explore it more. Uh, I have not gotten to the higher levels the way you guys have, because, again, I'm playing missions over and over until I can beat them. But I've certainly played this game enough times that I feel like I can give it a, a, a full, hearty review. Well, yeah, I mean, even with the frustration you feel, you still want to do it again, which I think is like one of the highest wrecks you can give something. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if it wasn't for the difficulty, and who knows, maybe if it wasn't for the difficulty, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. Because another game, Marvel Champions, that I love playing, you know, it, it's a game that I like playing because I don't always beat it. So maybe, who knows, maybe I'm becoming one of those gamers that likes to lose. I, I hope not. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've already talked about it a bit, but video games being ported or adapted into board games. What are some y'all can think of? Uh, Kingdom Rush, clearly, the one we just talked about. Doom, Gears of War, XCOM. What else? All, all the ones that uh, Steamforge did. did uh, Dark, Dark Souls, Souls yep. Blood, Bloodborne. No, Simon did Bloodborne. They did Devil May Cry, I think, and then Horizon Zero Dawn, the like mecha oh, dinosaur right, right, one. Yeah. Jetpack Joyride came out. I think that was also by Lucky Duck. That is by Lucky Duck. I, I haven't played that one, though. Yeah, I've actually heard that's a really good polyomino one as well. Oh, man, don't say that. I don't want to cover another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a real-time polyomino is my understanding. Oh, my gosh. That, that even sounds better. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, th- the first thing, I'll, I'll kind of start us off here. The thing that jumps out at me is... You need to uh, strike a balance, I think, for a good video game adaptation in paying homage or having recognizable elements and like callbacks or even theme wise of the video game. But you need to change the mechanics to be good mechanics. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just look at a Kingdom Rush versus Dark Souls, the board game, one that didn't work well for me. Kingdom Rush <laughs> is not a polyomino game, <laughs> you know, in, in any shape right. or form. The app is not a polyomino game. But they were like, oh, man, there's all these enemies coming. And instead of picking like a way that is full of drudgery, which I have seen in some other, uh, I won't say the names just to not be mean, but I have seen in some other uh, tower defense video game adaptations in board game form where they like tried to model stuff. And it was like so many things to keep track of and so many like little bits. They didn't really do that here, even with all the little polyomino shapes. They picked something totally divorced from the game. That's a lot of fun that still in a way manages to evoke the theme of the game anyway. And then Dark Souls, I think, tried too hard. They were like, oh, Dark Souls is grindy and people die a lot. Let's have this game be grindy and take six hours to play through a single session. And that was, I think, a bad choice in trying to be just like the video game in a way. Well, yeah, don't take the worst parts of the video right. game and try to replicate those. Like, <laughs> designer tip number one. Yeah, if you say, let's make this grindy, stop. No. Right. For for the average gamer, I think grind does not work in board game form. I, I think the most frustrating parts of games like Tainted Grail, grinding, Dark Souls the board game, grinding, Shadowrun Crossfire, or Dragon Fire, or whatever it's called, grinding, like... Grinding is fun for a select subset of gamers, but not for the average person, I think. Correct. And, you know, a lot of video games do rely on grinding, even when you think about it, because I was thinking, you know, at times of making roguelikes, right? I, I like a lot of roguelike games. And you, in those, you're playing them over and over and over again to try to get better, to kind of get these mild level ups that will help you or hoping to get the right things. But the difference is with an app based game, you're playing those games in five to ten minutes. With a board game, you have setup, you have playtime. It's never going to be a five to ten minute game. I mean, unless it's literally just a deck of cards. I mean, maybe that's the way to make something like a roguelike work. But you don't want to have to grind over and over and over again through a board game that you have to take like half an hour to set up. That's for sure. Yeah, so as I'm sitting there thinking about it, actually the only board game adaptation of video game I have is Kingdom Rush. And that's because, you know, as I look at them as they come out, I'm just like, man, the mega amount of junk that is there and they throw into these things and say i don't have any desire to deal with that and i feel like what happens is they focus so much on trying to as michael was saying you know bring the game to the table they forget that really it's about what's actually really fun about the game and how do we bring that feeling that experience into what it is that we are putting out on the uh, on the table as a board game and uh, even uh, i was watching through barrett's um horizon zero dawn playthrough and i was looking i was like that it, to me that does not look fun 
you know, I get it. I can see the video game and the board game, but it's not, it didn't generate that, that same feeling to me. And, and this like kingdom rush generates that feeling to me of, Oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. And if I can only solve this puzzle, I'm going to win. Like it does that. I want to throw it to Mike in a second, but a couple of them that I think do a good job are gears of war and doom. Definitely. And I think that's because they pay homage to the game themselves, but you're not doing a first person shooter, right? Both of those are first person shooter games, but they did an overhead map view and they took the feeling of that game. So Mike, what are, what are your thoughts on that? And like kind of how kingdom rush did it? Well, I mean, again, I think that's finding a fun game that is like adjacent to the theme or gets to something in the theme. Like you just said, gears of war, I think even better than doom, doom, ha- doom had more flaws than gears of war. Gears of War gets into it like you have cover-based shooting. You need to have cover-based shooting in Gears of War. There are some things that are (laughs) non-negotiable if you're going to do a certain video game, you know? And it's really tough and it's really challenging. Unless you're playing Gears of War on like the easiest difficulty setting, you know you can die in a moment. So they got all of that, but like in card-based play, in a top-down cooperative mode instead of like solo first-person shooter, they dropped the things that didn't work well for the board game medium. And there's like any adaptation. You know, we know while Hollywood can mess it up, like a great film adaptation, I talk about this in my film class, a great film adaptation will not just film the page, they will use the medium to its utmost. And board games have some cool things they can do that video games can't do as well and vice versa. And you don't want to recreate it. But one thing I wanted to add to kind of Will's point, I do think uh, a negative for a lot of these video game adaptations is that IPs are very expensive. Like just from talking to publishers and stuff, I know this, that IPs are very expensive. And a lot of these video game adaptations, they tend to make a ton of money if you do a Kickstarter and you have a ton of miniatures, right? We see that with uh, the Steamforge ones, for example. And I think all of this feeds into the worst tendencies of bloated Kickstarter kind of itis, you know, because you have uh, the board game people who want a good game. You have the miniature people who want as many miniatures as possible You have the people who are fans of the video game who are coming in, maybe also board gamers, and they want to see every element represented. They don't want you to leave out their favorite character. They they don't want you to leave out their favorite stage. And I think these companies want to make the millions of dollars that these big video game IP games can make for them. But it leads to this bloated design where you have like so many elements. There's no way they can test them all. There's no way they can like really make them all balanced. They add in all these extra elements, but again, they don't get to test them. They're trying to serve too many masters. So that, that's why I think uh, Kingdom Rush is the rare example of a Kickstarter IP game that does really well, video game IP. But, you know, uh, I think most of my favorite ones, like Gears of War or uh, Imperial, well, I guess Imperial Assault isn't a video game. That's just an IP game. But yeah, Gears of War. And uh, th- that's one that did not have a Kickstarter. They weren't kind of beholden to fans trying to dictate how they made the game. They made the best playing game they could with just the content they wanted to include. Yeah, and I th- to your point, the Kickstarter and bringing in fans of the video game, in some ways it's even worse if they're coming in and they are not board game fans, right? Because then they really are expecting the exact same experience that they had with the video game, and they don't know that – no, they, don't re- they really don't want that. Right, and part of the other problem, which we haven't touched on yet, is a matter of time because when you get a license, your clock starts ticking. And this counts for video game license. It counts for movie licenses. You might have two years exclusivity or whatever it ends up being. You're not necessarily getting rights to their type of board games forever. And so sometimes, you know, you don't want to design the game before you have the license. But at the same time, you're not going to get the game out the second you get the license. So you might only have two to five years somewhere in there with that license. And so all the time you put into design is time you take away from being able to sell that design. Now, it's not as much of an issue now where where games are recyclable, bottom line, like, you know, nothing stays popular for more than three to six months anymore. But, you know, if you want to have a game that lasts a long time and you only have the license for a certain number of years or you have to renegotiate in a couple of years, yeah, every second you're spending designing it is one less second you have to sell that game. Um, Just kind of a, a, I mean, this is just riffing on the the IP. Mike, you've played the Dune Imperium, but I don't know, Peter, if you've played that or not. I have not. Yeah. So, I mean, Mike, and you love Dune, but did you feel like you were playing Dune? No, no, not at all. I mean, like, here's a challenging thing. And this is, again, about adaptation overall. 
a lot of people like to, and I get it, it's kind of like Gears of War. Like, that is a solo game. Some people will play, like, you know, in multiplayer, like, arena modes, and then you can play two-player co-op. Um, but, like, I think of that as a solo first-person shooter. But a lot of companies like to uh, change things to where it's, like, not what you liked from the story in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people, their favorite Dune books are, uh, I'm a big fan of the series kind of overall, but for some people, their favorite Dune books are like book like five and six, where it really gets into this like crazy wide view, like kind of galactic, like millennia spanning stuff. Whereas for me, my favorite Dune books are like one and two and maybe three, where it's very focused on like individual characters, families, generally on one planet. Like it's more of a kind of traditional, like close in narrative. So, you know, for Dune in the original game and for the uh, this new Dune Imperium, they're going for, like, each of you being families trying to kill each other, which is not at all what, like, got me into Dune in the first place. Now, the original Dune, I think, does a great job of, like, making the factions different. They did not do a great job of that here. There are minimal faction differences. I don't feel like I'm Atreides. I don't feel like I'm a Harkonnen. So, yeah, the, the, the Dune, like, the Dune theme doesn't really come to life at all for me in that. And I do think you need to, for a video game even more than, like, a movie or a book adaptation, I think you need to get, like, that theme to feel like it's pretty much right or why are you even using that video game IP in the first place? You know. Oh yeah. Why, why spend the Why spend the money for that when you can just Why spend the money for Lord of the Rings if you can just generic fantasy it if you're not going for that? Yeah, and I think video games even more so than movies when it comes to IP. People played those games. They spent time with those games. They grinded through those games. They got their skill up in those games. So I think the attachments probably even stronger for a game you have a, a, a true love for and you've played hundreds of hours whereas in movies and books yeah you might have you know three hours per movie for you know longer movies but you're not going to really have the same level of of experience with i mean i guess that's not true because they're super fans of everything but i do feel like just a video game genre because you're hands-on and you're in that character's skin that that brings people a lot of attachment and so you do want to bring them it's a hard thing to do. You want to bring them the same feeling, but without being constrained in mechanics to exactly, you know, the same mechanics. Cause you can't do first person shooter as an example in a board game. That's not what board games do well. So you got to bring that feeling in as we keep saying over and over, but you have to find a new way to do it. And some twists that board games can do that. Even the video games can't do. And that's an interesting point. The, the time you you spend with it, because as I was thinking about it, you know, if if you guys told me that you were going to do a a Baldur's Gate board game, you better believe I'd be like, are they, are they going to mess up Minsk? Are they going to mess up my space hamster? Like, you better get that right. And that's because even though I'm an average fan of that game, playing that game once was what forty hours I spent with that. Like the average fan of a movie did not spend that time. So I think that's a really astute point. When I think that also brings up, like, it's not worth it to adapt some games. Like, it would be the dumbest thing to do a board game adaptation of Baldur's Gate. <laughs> because <laughs> nothing about that game is the kind of game I would ever want to play a board game version of. You know what I mean? Like, setting up all the little battles to make it feel like Baldur's Gate would be a nightmare. <laughs> Every time you transition, you have to fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, it would be so, like, you know, th think of the grind in Tainted Grail and multiply that by, like, a thousand. Because that was a fairly small game compared to Baldur's Gate. So, yeah, I, I think some video game IPs just shouldn't be adapted or just do this, like, totally different thing. It's like, hey, we're going to do Baldur's Gate, but it's just the combats and it's one-offs. But then you're going to piss off all the fans. So again, you probably shouldn't do it. Just yeah, make a fantasy I'm already game getting and, angry just thinking about it. Right, that. exactly. Like just just <laughs> do something else. You know, make it a fantasy game and say you were inspired by Baldur's Gate. I've been for several of our designs, published and non-published. I've been inspired by video games and movies I saw, but I didn't have the IP, and I did whatever I wanted for the best game. And you know, Peter made me do different things because it wasn't actually fun. <laughs> Well, I think that's part of it, too. I was actually just going to get to that. I think if you want to do an IP game, and again, we're talking IP in general here, but let's I mean, even go to the video game level. I think you want one super fan of the genre and one person that can be more objective and kind of look at it from the outside and say, yes, I get what you're doing. Because if you have two super fans working together, I think you can geek out and get too far down the rabbit hole where you are trying to fit in everything. So I think having that voice of reason from the outside is probably good. But 
the exact opposite, I think, would be a problem also. You get two people from the outside, and you don't know what makes people love this game, right? And so I, I think kind of having a mishmash, I think one super fan is really important. So you make sure you're paying fan service to the stuff you need to. But having one person that's on the outside that goes, hold on, that's great, but it doesn't make for the best gaming experience. I, th- I think there is a happy medium somewhere there. Well, and, and that's, I mean, this is kind of a broken record now, but that's the exact same thing it is for basically any adaptation, definitely from film adaptations. We've seen the nightmares of where they cut out, the, like the expert, the creative person, like the uh, the Percy Jackson movie being one of the most uh, infamous ones. It's like, yeah, we, we don't need your help. Or, uh, oh my gosh, uh, The Last Airbender. Like, they don't even have, like, character name pronunciations correct. It's like, can you please get somebody who loves this franchise in to help (laughs) out with this? Um, I think that's a really great point, Peter. That balance of, like, I know the medium and I know the IP and the theme is excellent to have. And it's great if those are different people who can play off each other. Yeah, because it's hard to take a step back. We know that from designing games ourselves. It's hard to take a step back and see your mistakes that you're making while you're making them. But I mean, that's I mean, that's why I love co-op design, as it were. Anyway, that's why you and I always work together. I think we balance each other pretty well because, eh, I mean, this is a totally different subject. So I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that. Which one of you is the bad cop? I mean, it depends on the game. It really yeah. does. I think we, you, you can get in your own head too much. You know, the lead designer is the one that's taking and making all the lead choices for us. But the other person goes in and goes, but that's not fun. You know, and it's important. It's important role to have, and you can do it with playtesters as well. But I think somebody that's as invested as you it is important to have somebody there along the journey with you to let you know when you're. Wait a minute, it was fun before; it's not anymore. Let's let's take a step back and figure out why. Yeah, and sometimes neither of us is the naysayer, and the publisher is the naysayer, or the blind playtesters yep. are the naysayers. It's like, oh, literally zero groups enjoy this part of the game. We probably need to change that or cut it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, we're getting into whole other discussions. But I was, I would say, if you are not that super fan yourself, get a super fan to play it. Maybe that's the advice here. And if you are not a super fan, well, I already said that one. So let's go the other way now. <laughs> <laughs> if you are a super fan of the game, make sure you have some people that aren't super fans that will think that that thing you're trying to put in is fun. All right, I think that's a great place to leave it. So a big thank you to Will, the Hungry Gamer. Uh, We'll have a link to his channel in the podcast notes. Uh, Go check it out and uh, check out our uh, group review, uh, if you will, uh, coming up in January. Yeah, that's actually going to be the first Wednesday of January. Nice. And then, Will, uh, Boards and Brews. I was on an episode of that. Do you want to briefly talk about what that is? Yeah, so what what I've come to discover is uh, with the Hungry Gamer, pretty much if someone makes a kind of content about board games and I learn it's a thing, I have to start doing it too, which means I will guess I'll be joining you on Twitch pretty soon, Peter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I love it. I love that medium. It, it's so interactive. You guys want to talk to content creators, that's the best place to do it. Yeah. So the the only that's the only thing I don't do right now is um, live streams, but I did start. I don't know. I do it every five or six weeks. I just do a video cast, I'll call it, but it also gets turned into a podcast where I invite another reviewer on, specifically a reviewer, because I do interviews with designers and stuff. But that always feels so official, and it's just a sit down and. We talk a bunch of garbage, go off on tangents, and the only rule is you have to be drinking something brewed. You know, it can be tea, okay. it can be kombucha, or in Mike's case, it can be Kahlua, whatever it is that you want. But the idea is it kind of instills that we're just chatting and having a good time. And uh, so we do that about every five, five weeks or five, six weeks. And um, I love it. It's the favorite thing. I It's it's my favorite thing that that, that we do. And uh, you can see the video streams on YouTube, and then you also can get links to the, the podcast version as well. I mean, any excuse to drink, I'm down. You haven't invited me yet. I'm like a professional at both. Yeah, I was about to say, Peter, to Peter, will have, <laughs> Peter will have made way more brewed uh, things going on than I did. I, I had to kind of search my cupboards. <laughs> well, yeah, he sat down and I said, so what are you, what, what are you drinking? So what are you talking about? Like, Boards and brews, man. And so he got up and running around uh, until he found something. But yeah, no, I, you are welcome on whenever you like. I'm, I'm shooting one with uh, actually your recent guest, uh, Grant Lyon. Uh, sometime this week, who I guess uh, I guess he's just making doing the circuit. He's a good guy. All right, 
So everybody, uh, we'll see you in the next two weeks. Uh, Steve and friends talking about uh, their top 20 games uh, next week. And then Peter and I will be back uh, in the first week of January with our top 20. But until then, uh, we'll see you at the next stop. Have some good gaming. Bye. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Well, and speaking of not uh, planning, uh, Will, you just kind of went into the full story or no, no, that's not what happened. Not at all. Speaking of things... (laughs) Speaking of things not necessarily being... This segment, this segue, not not as. Oh, you know what? It's gonna sound smooth when you edit it. Shut up. <laughs> and speaking of things, maybe shut up. <laughs> how, how, how many times make he restart? This is making the end. <laughs> it's gonna all be fresh. It's gonna be fresh when they hear it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. And speaking of things, maybe I, I just not like interrupting be... you every time. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was right. pushing through this time, no matter what. <laughs> Well, you know, I did, um, and again, I won't say this in the game, there was a uh, Kickstarter that I was doing where the designer was very well-intentioned, but had gotten very annoying. Just constant questions, and we add this and change this, and we change this in your video. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, no, uh, no. You don't get creative input on my review of your game. That's right? yeah. ridiculous. Like, like, I, like I mean, I, I, I'm happy to put in, so like... Uh, well, like Salvation Road, right? So had I messed up a rule in my description and you guys are like, what's wrong with you? I would, I'm happy to put in a subtitle that says I actually played this wrong. But that's about it. And so all these things. And so finally I'm done. And I said, okay, I'm going to send it back to you. And he said, you know, he'd asked just, uh, you know, just send the components. And, you know, the box was damaged and he was going to re- repackage it. Well, I may or may not have actually used that box to start a fire outside. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. We have to, we have to find our revenge where we can get it.